Well, those who regularly attend here know that recently, before my visit to Hong Kong and the Philippines, I finished a series on the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. And I'm still kind of in between what comes next. So uh, if you'll allow me, and even if you won't, um, I would dip our corporate toes, as it were, into the second chapter of First Peter and savor the delights that are in store for us here in Second Peter chapter 1. So open with me in your Bibles and Second uh, Peter chapter, excuse me, First Peter chapter two. I said Second Peter chapter one. I meant First Peter chapter two, but we're going to start in verse twenty-two of chapter one to pick up the context. First Peter chapter one and verse twenty-two, and we'll read down through chapter two and verse three, and it's verses one to three of chapter two that will form the heart of our study in God's word this evening. So 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at <clears throat> verse 22. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached as gospel to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Well, let's pray and ask that God would help us as we study these words together, that we would not be mere hearers of the word, not even mere delighters in the word, but that we would be doers of the word, and that this would instruct us in the way that we should go. So let's pray and ask for that help. Our Father in heaven, we heard this morning that the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, his companion, so spoke that a multitude believed, both of Jews and Greeks. And we know that that speaking was in, not in human wisdom. It was speaking of Christ and Him crucified. It was speaking by the Spirit and in power. We ask that as Christ is preached, as Your Word is proclaimed, that Your Spirit would come in power and take it home to each heart tonight. That these things which are spoken of, that we should turn away from, put aside that they would not even be named among us. And that that antidote of that pure milk of the word, we would delightedly suck and take in day by day, and that we would grow thereby in respect to our salvation. Help us, hear us, answer us, as our confidence is solely in you. 
We ask through Jesus, your Son, our Savior, our only mediator and hope. Amen. As we look at these first verses of chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, I'm going to point out three things or break it down in three ways. There's, first of all, a condition supposed. And then, secondly, there are some evils opposed. And thirdly, there is a remedy proposed. So it kind of rhymes, but it just worked out that way. A condition supposed. It starts out with uh, taking for granted that these people were in a certain condition, these people to whom Peter was writing. And then there are some evils which he tells them that they are to put aside. And then there is a remedy. There is the pure milk of the word. And so let's look at these three things then in order uh, this evening. First of all, a condition supposed. And there are three parts to this condition. And first of all, we find it in the therefore at the beginning of the verse. Therefore, and this is saying that what I'm going to say to you next is a result, is conditioned upon what I've already just told you. And so we have to look back and say, okay, this therefore, what's it there for? What is he looking back to? What is he presupposing before he gives this uh, exhortation to put aside these evils? And the therefore points back to what he had just said in verses 22 to 25, which is why we read those verses. And this is that they had heard... And received the gospel that was preached to them. Therefore, because you have heard this gospel that was preached to you, verse 25. And since, verse 22, you have in obedience to this truth that was preached to you. Been purified. And so, in a sense, there are a couple of aspects of this. That they heard the gospel. This is the word which was literally evangelized to you. That's why... I translated it the way I did. This is the word which was preached as gospel, as good news to you. We heard something about that this morning. The preparation of the gospel, the good news, the blessed news of peace, peace with God, justification, being pardoned and accepted. This is that word which he describes in quoting from uh, Isaiah. This is that word which abides forever. Grass, which has beautiful flowers, as we even read of in the Sermon on the Mount, that uh, there's this grass with the lilies of the field, but it's here today and gone tomorrow. It's even, as, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, it's burned up. It's cast into the furnace. It dries up. Well, it may look good, but it's only momentary. But God's Word is something that we should feast our eyes on forever. It abides forever. The word of the Lord. And this word, this gospel word, you've heard. Now, let's just stop and pause there. Peter assumes that his listeners, his readers, had heard that word. This is the word which was preached as good news to you. Now, if you're here, and you are, if you've been here for a while, and most of you have, this is a great privilege to have heard the good news preached to you. Oh, maybe you don't think so. Maybe as we heard this morning, you uh, think that, well, I'm going to put this off. It reminds me, as Carol and I were talking about this in the car on the way here, 
of one of those events in those little house on the prairie books where the gospel, a, a revivalist came to their town. And Laura Ingalls Wilder, Laura Ingalls and her parents resisted. The town was being swept by this fire of evangelistic zeal. But Laura Ingalls and her family resisted. Some of you remember that in the books? I remember it's one of those things that stuck in my mind in reading those books. Resisted. But this is a great privilege to hear the good news preached. But it wasn't just that they heard the good news. Going back to verse 22, they have in obedience to the truth been purified. They heard the truth and they obeyed the truth. It's not enough, you see, just to hear about the good news. You need to submit to the good news. You need to obey the gospel. What does it mean to obey? I thought you just believe it. Well, that's what it means. You repent. You turn from sin and you believe. That is, you receive. You embrace as yours, Jesus, the Savior. We heard in the gospel of Luke this morning, the good news of the angels, which is for all the people. But you see, if you reject that good news, it doesn't come, become yours. Receive it. These people, Peter takes for granted, he assumes, because they are those who are chosen, described back in chapter 1, verse 1. They were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. They were sprinkled with his blood. They obeyed Jesus Christ. These were people who had been changed by the gospel in its power. They had received it. And so that's the first assumption. This gospel, which is firm and trustworthy, they had received, they had come to obey the truth, and it had done a marvelous work for them. Now, let me just point out something before we go on. Notice in this text that there is a means to bring about the new birth. He says, you have been born again, verse 23, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding word of God. Some people deal with a new birth as if somehow God just zaps people and then they're born again. Well, God does powerfully work to bring about the new birth. It's his work, but he uses means. And what is the means that God uses clearly described, set forth, it, it, plainly, unmistakably, it is the word of the gospel. It doesn't just happen somehow out, in the, out of the blue. It happens when the gospel is preached. That's why we preach. That's why we open up the good news. That's why we do it again and again. And that's why we love to tell the story. Because that's God's means to bring about the new birth. So that's the first thing he supposes. They have heard the word and have received the word. It has had an effect in their lives. It has changed them, renovated them inside out. They're new creatures. They're born again. But secondly, notice another presumption. And this is now at the end of the section, verse 3. If you have tasted, and literally, here's a literal translation, that the Lord is kind. If you have tasted that the Lord is kind. Perhaps he's referring to that psalm, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. 
taste and see. Well, have you tasted? You see, he's assuming that these people to whom he is writing, these Jews scattered abroad throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, they're elect. These are chosen. And it's known that they're chosen because they believed. <laughs> and they've come to faith. That they have not only heard that the Lord is kind, not only learned about him that this is one of his attributes, but they have come to taste it for themselves. And so he asked them, is God kind to you? Is God kind? Oh, he's a, he's a fierce judge. Oh, he's strict. Oh, yes, he's righteous. Absolutely. But is he kind? Oh, he's sovereign. He's in control. Yes, but is he kind? Have you tasted personally? Have you received? Have you experienced? This is what he's assuming. Yeah, my God is kind. Is this your God? Is this your Savior? He has been to me more than kind. He has been to me gracious. He has shown to me grace instead of grace. Grace, grace to it, has toppled the mountain of my pride and brought me to embrace the Savior. Grace, grace, kindness. You have tasted God demonstrates his own love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what we saw in Romans 5. God's kindness. Now, notice that this is a statement that is not conditional, not just some of the time. It's not that God is kind when he does good things. You know, the world might say, well, you know, God was very kind to me. I, I got a raise. Well, what about a trial? What about losing your husband? What about when don't, things don't go the way you desire? Is God still kind? If you know him, if you've tasted that he's kind, you know that he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up, how could I ever say that he's not kind? No matter what trials. And these people, by the way, that Peter is addressing, they had experienced, as he says, various trials. In verse 6 of chapter 1. Various and sundry, different sorts. And yet they had still tasted and would say and affirm, My God is kind. He's been kind to me because he delivered me from my sin by the blood of his son. Some people think of God as some kind of monster, but not the children of God. We have tasted, we have known, we affirm God is kind. And if so, how shall you live? Well, well, we'll come to that, but there's one more assumption before we come to how we should live. There's one more thing supposed in this section of the word of God, and that is, that we are like what? All Christians are described in this passage as what? Newborn babes. Like newborn babes. All of y'all, think of yourselves this way. Newborn babes long for the pure milk 
of the word. Now we'll come to that thing, uh, the longing for the milk in just a little bit. But notice what he's saying here. And if you're honest with yourself as even an older Christian, and I've been a Christian for, oh my, 50 years or so. Um, yeah, I'm like a newborn babe. What does that mean? It means you're dependent. It means you need nourishment. It means you need to grow. It means you're not there yet. You got a long ways to go. There's so many areas of your life in which you're just this little pygmy and you need to grow in respect to your salvation. Isn't it so? I mean, <laughs> is it just me? This is a description of every true Christian. Oh, yes, I know there are passages that speak of longing for meat and not just milk, but he's using a different image here. He's not contrasting a mature Christian with an immature Christian. He's saying all Christians are like this. In a sense, we all need to grow and we all need nourishment and we're all dependent for that nourishment upon our Heavenly Father. And so we got to grow. We still need to pray in the fruit of the Spirit. We still need to pray against that sin which so easily entang entangles our feet. And I think you would acknowledge such to be the case for you. We still got a ways to go. Those are the things that are presupposed that, first of all, they've heard and responded to the good news preached. Secondly, they know that God is kind. The Lord is kind to me. And thirdly, yes, I'm like a newborn babe that I have yet to grow. Now, the next thing that he gives in this passage, really right after the therefore, is this section of evils that are opposed, some evils opposed. He says, putting aside all malice and all guile and literally hypocrisies, plural, and envies, plural, and all slanders, plural, like newborn babes, etc. So he has these uh, five things. Let's see, count them up. Malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, slander, yet five things that he says we're to put aside as if don't even touch them. Don't even go near them. They should have no part in your life. And so if you have experienced this new birth, if you have received the word which was preached, if you have tasted God's kindness, if you acknowledge you've got a ways to grow, then you say, yeah, sadly, some of these things are still with me and I do need to put them off. I do need to turn aside from them and reject them. What are these five things? And maybe you could preach five sermons about these, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give an overview of these five things. He first of all says, all malice, all malice. And this word for malice is a general word for badness, wickedness, evil, Right? Sometimes, though, it's especially, and I think in the context, evil that is directed specifically toward others. In the preceding context, he said that since you've received the word in obedience to the truth, you purified your souls with what effect? For a sincere love of the brethren. You see, if you're converted, it changes your relationships. We were once filled with malice and envy and hateful and hating one another, Paul says to Titus. But now when you're saved, that changes. Oh yeah, we're not yet perfect. Yeah, we got a ways to go. We're still babes. 
but you're not what you used to be. You have purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Therefore, in contrast to that, this is something that would go against a sincere love of the brethren. And so here, this malice is evil directed towards your fellow men, and perhaps specifically and especially your fellow believers. It is, in other words, meanness, ill will, malignity, hatefulness, cruelty, a desire to do others harm, which would result perhaps in some of the things that follow, envy, hypocrisy, uh, slander, <clears throat> evil speech. John Brown points out in his marvelous commentary, which is really his series of sermons on 1 Peter, that this meanness has its root in selfishness and self-love, desiring to advance self at the expense of others. Advance self by attacking others. Malignity, malice. And Peter is saying to us here, this has no place in a Christian. Malice, evil, malignity, ill will, having a negative attitude and relationship with a fellow believer, especially, or with all men. So far as it lies with you, put away malice toward anybody. No malice in your heart. All malice, all sorts of malice, all occasions of malice. And so let's just stop there for a moment. Think about your life, your relationships. Is there anyone whose name, when it is mentioned, arouses in your heart ill will? That person. Hmm. That's what he's talking about. Malice. Put it aside. When you think of that person, when that name is mentioned, instead of saying, hmm, stop and pray. Pray for the good, eternal good of that person. And pray that God will change your heart. A sincere love of the brethren to replace malice. All malice. But then the second word, putting aside all malice and all guile, or another translation of the word would be deceit. This word is only used a few places in the New Testament. It is taking advantage of others by false pretense, cheating, trickery. And the word is used, for example, of Elymas the magician in Paul's first missionary journey when he was evangelizing there on that island, and this man, Sergius Paulus, the governor of the island, was listening eagerly to him. And there was this magician, Elymas, who was seeking to turn Sergius Paulus against the faith. And it seems he was doing it kind of privately, going to him, sort of, and trying to undo the good that the gospel was doing. And so Paul turns to him. We read this in Acts 13, 10, and 11. And says to him these words, You who are full of all deceit, and there's the word, all guile, all trickery, and fraud, 
You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. You who are full of all guile, there's the word. See this man, Elymas, he was seeking secretly to go in and undo, pull out, the seed that was planted, guile, deceit, trickery. Again, any trickery, any trying to get away with something, any, any seeking to manipulate others by lies, by falsehood, guile, deceit. It has no place in a Christian life. Whether it's with your husband or your wife, oh, if I do this, then I'll get her to do this for me. Or on the workplace, whatever circumstance, seeking to manipulate others by deceit and trickery. Paul says, or Peter says rather, put it all away. No place. Let's be straightforward. Absolutely honest. Absolutely forthright in our dealings one with another. The third thing that he says to put away, the third evil opposed here, therefore putting aside all malice and all guile, now he uses a plural, and hypocrisies. He doesn't repeat the word all, but it's kind of included in this plural, and hypocrisies. And he might have said all hypocrisy, but he just uses a plural to say whatever kind of hypocrisy is out there, get rid of it. Jettison. You see, as John Brown points out, deceit leads to hypocrisy, deceit and guile, because nobody wants to ad advertise he's being deceitful. Now, really, what I'm saying to you isn't, isn't quite so, but, but listen to me. You're not going to say that. You're going to pretend like you're really the friend of the person you're trying to manipulate. You're trying to sway by your false dealings. Uh, you're putting on a false face. Hypocrisy is the child of deceit. And what kind of deceit happens? Well, you might pretend to love somebody, to pretend to be such a great Christian you love. Can you think of somebody who pretended to love and yet was hiding malice? I can. His name is Judas, who betrayed his master with a kiss. That's hypocrisy. Oh, master. Jesus saw right through him. Jesus wasn't deceived. You see, there's deceit. There's hypocrisy. There's malice. It's a kind of a package deal. Pretending to love those that you're cheating. Pretending to want to serve Christ when you're really seeking the approval of men. This is a kind of hypocrisy that happens in the church of Christ. Oh, I'm a good Christian. Oh, I want to serve. Oh, look at me. Seeking to call attention to self in service is hypocrisy. This is what Paul said about that in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. See, if you're serving Christ, do it for Him. Don't do it so you get a pat on the back. 
praise, you know, uh, some kind of plaque put up in the church for what you've done. The church I, my grandparents went to in Philadelphia, it always kind of amazed me. There were stained glass windows and every stained glass window had this little plaque there. This window was donated by, and it was an old German church, you know, Mr. Vander whatever, but, uh, you know, or Von, what, it was, it was uh, not Dutch, but German. And sorry, Dutch people, Von something, but uh, Von Hoffenmeister. I don't think my grandfather's name was on any of the windows. But are you doing this for the Lord? Or are you doing this to have a plaque with your name on it? That's hypocrisy. If I were still trying to please men and get the praise of men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And for those who are aspiring to the ministry, let those words sink deeply into your heart. Not for the praise of men, not for applause, but for the Lord we serve. Hypocrisy. But then the fourth thing that he says to put off, and here he uses again a plural, envies. Envies. So that all, the word all is not repeated, but it's kind of included. Envies of whatever sort. Envies. And this is, again, rooted in self-love, self-promotion, because when you see others receiving blessing, you kind of think to yourself, well, why him and why not me? Why her? Why does she get all the praise? Why not me? I should get it. I should get some credit here. How about me? Envy. And this can take the form of jealousy, even of spiritual gifts. Why does he get the opportunity to preach? Why does he get called upon to pray? Why... Envy of spiritual gifts. What do you have that you have not received? And if God gives some more than another, you know, the, the man who had two talents, what did he do? He said, oh, I've got only two talents. I'm just going to sit. He used them for the glory of his master. He didn't say, well, he got five. Why not? Well, the guy with one talent, he just buried it. What should he have done? He should have used that one talent for the glory of his master. So no matter what you've received, don't be jealous of the gifts of others. Don't be envious of possessions of others. Well, they've got a new car and I'm driving this old jalopy. What, what's, or envy of friendships and relationships. How come it seems like, you know, that person, uh, people flock around them. And here I am and I just uh, sit on my bench all alone. How about envy of spiritual usefulness? Blessing upon the gift. And it's, by the way, giftedness does not, does not always end up with blessedness. Some receive more blessing than others. Spiritual usefulness and blessedness. And whatever type this envy, uh, whatever sort it is, again, the all is included in the plural, envies of whatever sort. He says, put them all aside. Get rid of jettison. You find it rising in your heart. Well, what about me? Why him? Why her? Peter's talking to you. The Holy Spirit's talking to you. Put it aside. And there's one more in this list of five things. And again, as a kind of a package deal, 
all slander. Now he reverts to the word all, but he uses also the plural, all slanders. So he kind of combines his uh, way of saying that all sorts of these things, slanders, evil speakings is the literal uh, translation. All kinds of evil speaking. Now, sadly, let's think back. If we could play a transcript of our conversations, perhaps even here at lunch or over the past days, uh, much of our conversation circles around talking about other people. Now, that's not all bad. You can talk about other people in a good way. Have you seen my servant Job, the Lord said to Satan? Well, that wasn't gossip. That wasn't slander. He was talking about what a great guy Job was. That's a good thing. Even sometimes we talk about funny things that people do. Do you hear what so-and-so did? And, you know, we're not laughing at them. We're laughing with them, I trust. Because sometimes we all do funny things, right? I mean, I know I do. Uh, and probably that has been maybe some of your conversation. You, this Pastor Steve guy, uh, that's fine with me. But what he's talking about, evil speaking, is when we talk about other people and put them in a bad light so as to put them down, to knock them down, so as to put ourselves up. See, this package, it's all a package deal, which revolves around love of self, evil speaking and slander. I was looking on the internet for this poem. I sort of remember as a young uh, boy, my mom reading to us this poem. Uh, I thought it was, um, um, oh, what's his name? The, the Hoosier poet. Um, his name jumps out of my head just this moment. But this, the, in this poem, the, the poet was speaking about there at their family table, they would sometimes speak bad about their teachers or about classmates or whatever. And finally, their father, who sat silently, would chime in, shut up and eat your vittles. Shut up and eat your vittles. In other words, stop this evil speaking. Stop talking trash about others. And just, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything. Well, I remember that poem. It wasn't... Um, James Whitcomb Riley. I thought it was, I, but in my search of his anthology, I didn't come up with a poem. I didn't come up with it anywhere in Google. If Google doesn't know about it, uh, maybe it doesn't exist. <laughs> but it's in my brain. And I remember it as a child that my mom read us this poem. And of course, she read it to us for a point that we would not talk evil of others. My mom didn't want us to grow up doing that. And what she was saying basically was what Peter was saying here, put aside all evil speaking. Well, that's what we should do. Put aside all slander, all, e all evil speakings, plural. Now, notice again that as newborn babes, we, let's acknowledge we're not innocent in all these matters. Let us acknowledge that we need to be told to put it all aside. Because sad to say, there's a remnant of these things in all of us. That's why Peter says, put it aside. And what are they again? Malice, guile or deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. Stop it. Put it away. 
trash it. Get rid of it from now on. So, brethren, you know, if we hear from one another any of these things, if we notice them in one another, what should we do? Be our brother's keepers. You know, brother, I sort of remember Pastor Steve reading this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2. Do you remember that? Hmm. Let's help one another. While it is still called today, that we might purify our souls all the more for sincere love of the brethren. Now, the next point, the third point here in this passage is a remedy proposed. Peter doesn't merely say, stop it. He doesn't just say, put it aside. He gives us the means to fight it. He gives us the weapon, the spiritual weapon, if you will, to oppose these evils. What is the armor of proof? Well, we heard from Ephesians 6 about this, and we hear it again. It is the sword of the Spirit, that is the Word of God. And there are two parts to this verse, to verse 3, verse 2. Like newborn babes, we heard that uh, presumption or that presupposition. But he says, long for the pure milk of the Word. There's the means, but then secondly, there's the end. What's the end of the pure milk of the Word? That by it, you may grow with respect to salvation. You may grow up to salvation. Well, let's look at those two parts. Long for the milk of the word. Long for the pure milk. Now, it's a difficult translation, actually, because the word for word is only used twice in the whole New Testament. It's used here. And it's also used in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, your reasonable service or spiritual service of worship, your logical, logikos, if you want to anglicize the word, logical. Well, you can recognize in that word logos, which is word, logical, reasonable. And some translations take Romans 12 and say spiritual service of worship. Well, then we come here to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, the reasonable milk or the spiritual milk. In fact, some translations put it that way, the reasonable milk or the spiritual milk. Let's just pause and say, if that's the translation, what's a reasonable milk that you're going to take that's going to help you grow? reasonably or what's a spiritual milk that you're going to take that's going to make you grow well it's pretty obvious that we can take that logos component of the word logicon and say well it's obvious it's the word of god the spiritual milk of the word the reasonable milk of the word the well it's the word right and that's what we long for the milk. So in other words, what Peter is saying to us, there ought to be in us a craving, a longing, something that we can't live without. I got to have it. What is it? It's God's word. I need my fix every day. I need God's word to direct me. What light shall be your perfect guide? That's why I wanted to sing that hymn. And Pastor Carlson asked me for suggestions of hymns. And I said, well, how about that one? 
How shall the young direct his way? How shall the babe grow? By the word of God. We crave, we long for this milk of the word. But notice it's pure milk. It's unadulterated. And the word here is the negative of the word for deceit found in verse 1. Put aside all deceit. This is the undeceitful word. It's the pure word, an unadulterated word, undeceitful. It's not going to trick you. It's not going to lead you down the wrong path. This word, this pure word of God is what you really need. Long for this. And we read the verse this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. We're not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. And by the way, that's what we seek to do in this pulpit. And maybe you've noticed if you're a visitor here, if you've come a few times, what do we do? It's not a lot of frills. You know, we're not showing video clips with little Disney characters or, you know, giving you little uh, ditties. We, we got Bible. As Pastor Martin used to say, 16 ounces to the pound. It's Bible. And that's what we know. Why do we do this? Because we know that's what's going to make you grow. Not little ditties, not funny stories. Oh, yeah, illustrations. Yeah, they have their place. But Bible, that you may grow. Well, that comes to the effect. But let me just say, before we come to the effect, all Christians are to long for this word and we never outgrow it. Not as in 1 Corinthians 3, 2, where Paul says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. So there's a contrast with milk and solid food. Uh, yeah, okay, in one sense, we ought to grow and mature, so we don't need baby food, baby Christian food. And in Hebrews chapter 5, he says, you ought to be teachers. You need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food. That's not the point here. He's not saying, well, you're, you're just babies needing milk. He's saying, we're always babies. There's a different, different picture here. Peter's using this word to describe what we always need, what we always crave. You know, I remember when, when Andy was a little tot and uh, he, he was breastfed. And, you know, the, you have that rooting instinct with a baby. It's so fun to watch. You know, you, you touch their cheek and they turn and they open their mouth. And, and it's called a rooting instinct because they, they want to just suck and well, in a sense, this is what Peter is saying. This is what every Christian ought to have when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to God's word. We, we crave it. We can't get enough. We, you know, okay, baby does get full eventually, but not for long. <laughs> you know, they want more. They keep coming back. Well, this is always true as a Christian. I hope you would never say, and as I look at your faces, I hope you would never say, dear brethren here at Trinity Baptist Church, I read that book. Oh yeah, I've been there. You know, I know what that's, I know what it's all about. As I said, I've been a Christian for more than 50 years. I still need the Bible. You still need the Bible. Day by day, you still need the Bible. Because... 
put it this way in a relationship, okay? I've been a Christian for longer than I've been married, but next month or a couple months from now, we'll have our 40th anniversary. And you ask me, do you still talk to your wife? Well, yeah. Do you still tell her you love her? How many times a day? Does she still do the same? Yeah. Do you get tired of that? No. You see, if you have a relationship, and this is what we're talking about here uh, from John 10, we saw it last week, that we have a relationship. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. John 10, 14, I know them, they know me. They know the shepherd. There's a relationship. And where there's a relationship, there's communication. We read from Psalm 5 this morning. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning. We pray to God. He talks to us. A relationship. How does he talk to us? In this book. Long, crave the pure milk of the word. Brethren, never outgrow this. I hope you would never say, oh, I read that. I've read it 10 times. That's enough. Yeah, I'm old now. I don't need to go back there. Like pure, like little babes, like newborn babes. Until the day you die. Long for the pure milk of the word. And what's the end? What's the goal? That you may grow thereby. See, it's not just uh, an end in itself. It's not just to get no, you know, more facts and to win a prize in Bible memory. Uh, but it's to grow thereby. As John Brown points out in his commentary, by the way, it's my favorite commentary on 1 Peter. Uh, second is Leighton, but what does he say? Well, he says a few things about growth for babies. He says, well, to grow is healthy. Baby that doesn't grow, there's something wrong. A Christian that doesn't grow, there's something wrong. You need to be making progress. Yeah, you might be a Christian 50 years. But you still need to make progress. To grow, secondly, is gradual. It's healthy. It's gradual. You don't see it from day to day. But you see progress. And it's common when you see somebody, some kids that you haven't seen for a while. What do old folks always say to kids? My, how you've grown. And kids, I hope you don't get tired of it. Although I think as a kid, I sometimes did. Well, yeah, of course, you know. <laughs> what do you expect? But for old people, you see, you know what it's saying to me is, I got older. <laughs> You've grown. Where was I? Growth is gradual. It happens. Growth is proportional. If you see a child that, you know, has one leg that's, full size and another leg that's not grown, there's something wrong here. It's proportional. There's growth in every part. Well, we ought to grow. And sadly, again, we're not perfect. But we ought to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. We ought to grow in grace and in knowledge. We ought to grow in love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
We ought to grow in all of these. Sometimes we grow more in one than another. Sometimes it seems like we hardly grow at all in one aspect. But it ought to be proportional. There ought to be growth in all of these areas. And then the last thing that Mr. Brown says about growth. Growth is, though it's gradual, it is perceptible. As Paul told Timothy, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. How many of you have a, some kind of a board or a door perhaps back home where you mark the heights of the kids? If you come to the Dixon's home, our home in Caldwell, I can show you a board. I still have it where you've got Chuck and you've got Carol and you've got Calvin and little notches on this board marking their growth up until they were full grown. Well, their date's kind of penciled in. It's kind of faint. It's sort of hard to read, but there was growth. It was gradual, yes, but it was perceptible. It was recognizable. I was encouraged when I went back to Moonwalk this, this past couple of trips to see one lady that, to be honest with you, I, I kind of thought, well, that's as far as she's going to get. Because she was always filled with stories of how bad she had it, how tough life was, and you know what her husband did, and so on and so forth. But these last couple of trips, when we've had modular courses, she's been there in the kitchen. She's been serving food to the pastors who came to the modular course without a word of complaint, with a smile on her face. And I said to her, I won't mention her name, but I said, Miss So-and-so, I'm just so thankful to see you serving in this way. You have really grown over these past few years. And she acknowledged it, that God had done something for her and helping her to get out of herself and think of others. It was obvious. I'd come back from a time away after COVID and there, this growth was seen plain for all to look at. So it would be, I trust, if someone were to come and meet you after a while, there, the peg has gone higher. The mark on the board is up beyond what it used to be. So that your progress may be evident to all. And that's the aim of the word. That you may grow thereby. That's why we preach. That's why we preach sometimes. Is Pastor Steve mad? He shouted. He's not mad. I'll give you a clue, kids. I'm mad at sin. I'm mad at my own sin. I'm not mad at you. And if I do shout. Because I want you to be done with sin and know the Savior. This is the aim of our preaching. This is why we preach sometimes forcefully, sometimes loudly, sometimes gently, sweetly. Because we want to see you grow. Are we on the same team? I trust we are. Long for this pure milk. Come back and again and again to the preaching of the to your Bible day by day and pray. Lord, I want to grow thereby. And so 
let's just ask a few questions as we close. First of all, are you born again? Born again through this living and abiding word? Of, are you born again? Are you, do you have a new life? You see, if you're a Christian, something's changed. You're not what you used to be. You're not what you want to be someday. You're not there yet. Yeah, you're still a babe. You've got growing to do. But you're not what you used to be because you used to be dead. Now you're alive in Christ. Are you born again? Put it this way. Have you tasted that the Lord is kind? Or is your view of God still this sort of ogre in the sky, some sort of heavenly watchdog that's going to spoil your fun? That's not God. Oh, yeah, he, he wants you to be holy. Yeah, he wants to spoil your sin. But, you know, ultimately, he wants your good. The Lord is kind. Many, many of us here have tasted that. Taste and see. Taste for yourselves and see. Don't just take my word for it. But I'll tell you, and many will testify in this place, the Lord is absolutely kind. More than you can tell. More than words can express. It is inexpressible. It is ineffable, to use an old word, God's kindness. Have you tasted? Oh, I pray you will. What are you waiting for? Taste and see. The Lord is good. If you know him, secondly, what do you have to do with these things? Put aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisies, envies, and all slanders. If God, by his spirit, has searched you out and touched you in any of these areas, say, I'm done with it. Lord, help me to jettison, to trash, to get rid of. Any and all of these things. Thirdly, if you know him, are you taking your daily nourishment? Are you like that baby, you know, with a rooting instinct? <gasps> I just want to get more. I want more of that pure milk of the word. Oh, Lord, speak to me day by day. Yes, let's be honest. Sometimes we read our Bibles and, you know, we close the cover and then we think, what did I just read? But you need to be nourished by this book. And so you say, Lord, help me to take home something today. Help me to take to work something today. Help me to take out of your word what I need. The nourishment, the food, the sustenance that I need today. Whether that be encouragement, whether that be rebuke, whether that be instruction, whether that be training in righteousness. Oh, Lord, give me what I need from your word today and help me to recognize it and help me to remember it that we may grow thereby do you want to grow are you satisfied with your christian life every christian i know would say if they really think about it how could i be satisfied i got a ways to go like the baby long Keep in the Bible. And if you want to take anything home from this message tonight, that's it. Like newborn babes, long for more of this book, that you may grow thereby. Let's pray. 
Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet, a guide to our path, which is food to our souls, nourishment for our growing spiritual lives. Help us to grow in aspects with regard to our salvation. Not that we would be more saved. We're saved. We love to proclaim it. But we want to demonstrate in our lives more and more that we are saved. We want that salvation to be demonstrated in our turning from sin, in all of these ways, in all of these manifestations, malice, envy, deceit, hypocrisy, slander, whatever else, that we would grow more like our Savior in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Make us more like yourself. We long for this. And we know the means described to us here, the pure milk of the word. Hear us, we pray, and call to yourself those who are still in darkness, those who are dead, make them alive by the living and abiding word. Grant the new birth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.